0: I think that happened, should we do something so subtle and so not easy uh, when nobody is in Hong Kong except for the local community. And interestingly, you know, we were all wrong. Uh, we were right for two weeks and then um, it turns out a good art would still um, prevail. Looking back, it was interesting. Uh, COVID and not traveling and lockdowns cannot stop collectors from from learning and acquiring the good pieces. It's it's what we've learned.
1: Welcome to the Artelligence podcast. Live arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Manneker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Jackie Ho is the head of Christie's Evening Sale in Hong Kong. In this podcast, we talk about the unique position of the Hong Kong sales in the global auction ecosystem. We also talk about his approach to selecting artists and works for those sales and the interests and ambitions of his clients. I hope you enjoy it. Jackie, thank you for taking the time with me, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, pleasure to be here. One of the things I most wanted to start with, uh, there's so many things to talk about with your market and your evening sales. But, uh, you know, I've been following these sales for, you know, better part of a decade or more, uh, since the, uh, you know, Chinese, uh, contemporary market, as it was called then in the early 2000s, shifted to Hong Kong and the growth of the paintings market there first emerged as kind of a pan Asian, uh, market of, you know, major Japanese, Chinese and South, uh, East Asian artists. And then there was a switch to a much more global demand for artists. Uh, you know, much of it was meant to be at the top end of artists like Picasso or, or Richter. But the real traction in the last few years has been for a broad range of global artists of very different types. And I know it's a big question to ask, but I was wondering, how did that happen? Did it just sort of happen organically? Did it happen through some byplay between your experience locally and your experience with a large auction house and personally of being in these various um, cultural locations? That's indeed
0: a very very big question and um i don't think it it happened overnight but we have been predicting and seeing it coming i mean when i joined the industry um sort of a decade ago it was at the point where um it came out from the first dip um when so-called the chinese contemporary market or the chinese modern market um took a dip um with the financial crisis um and so people started to buy in a more mature way. I think less speculation, um, more research, more studying. Um, and they, they started to also look further than their own market, I think, from that point onward. So um, they, they, I think in general, I'm talking about very general a um, very broad view of things. I think they, they started going to museums more. They look at, they read more. They look at exhibitions. They go to Venice Biennale. They go to different art events internationally. I think that happened in general in the past two decades, I, I think. Um, so there's there's less speculation. I think there's more research and there's more um, collecting in general. I think, I think Asia learned very quickly in the past, decade uh, from my interaction with all the collectors and um even with galleries i think the market went from you know just collecting everything without knowing the sort of supply and demand or the importance to um a very research focused market so i think i think that happened and then secondly i think bad Bazo happened and um and i think that gave um that gave the the asian audience uh a different perspective, and so uh, the auction market always sort of reflects what's happening in the market. So I think then slowly, um, you know, a few years from from art Basel and also opening of many new museums in Asia in the past five years in Shanghai and now in Hong Kong with M Plus in Southeast Asia, um, you know, Korea and, and Japan, and I think that also gave everybody a different perspective and so that that gave that re, that the whole the whole movement is then reflected in the auction business where the secondary market also follows
1: but the secondary market i mean i that's very interesting but it i think it also doesn't fully uh give credit to the fact that the truly global art market right now is in Hong Kong right the there there are sophisticated very distinctive uh asian Painters who mostly trade there, and then there are African diaspora t- painters, and then there are new discoveries. So there's a, a layering um, uh, that you don't necessarily see in in other markets. You know, the the, the market in Paris is uh, will sell different sort of things. And there was a time when uh, Jean Michel Basquiat was mostly sold in Paris. I mean, that was a long time ago, but there was a time. But they have their their distinctively uh, uh, continental artists that tra- trade there. In in Hong Kong, it seems we have, you know. Lots of different artists I mean I, just off the top of my head, one thinks of George Kondo and Eddie Martinez, and even to some extent Cecily Brown, who a lot of their market strength comes from the demand uh out of the sales in, in Hong Kong and broadly through through Asia right
0: I think one thing that also changed from from previous time is that when when Hong Kong was so known to be trading just to start with Chinese artists and then it became a sales center for all the Asian artists um that took sort of 10 years um what what um the general public or the art community um in the past don't know is that actually some of the transactions that happen outside of Asia or outside of Hong Kong um they there's actually quite a big following to start with um are uh, in the Asian community so the things that you 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 see all these auction records in New York, in London, in Paris. Only if you work in an auction house, you realize hang on one minute. Like actually, these are really popular. Like the winner and the other bidders are Asian collectors. Why are we not auctioning them in Hong Kong? So I think that started to change when Hong Kong became more and more international. And when one work finally sells in Hong Kong, and um, you know, you mentioned Josh Condell, the current re- record is in Hong Kong. Um, when the first George condo was transacted in Hong Kong people were in, were shocked they were like why would you sell a george Condo here this is an American market um, and now we have requests that people only want to sell their George condo in Hong Kong um so I think that's the that's the fun part of working in auction house you, you, you get to really see a lot of behind this in secret and um, you know in the past everybody go to new york to transact right and then um and that's the joy of selling and and, and auctioning in new york because you get bidders from europe you get bidders from asia and you, you have american bidders and the same thing is happening now in hong kong and um the i think part of the excitement is that we didn't expect that to happen so quickly therefore we're a little bit shocked but then we're trying to get used to it at the same time
1: i agree that it didn't seem to be something you thought was going to happen so quickly and yet it happened over time um so it's not like we can just say oh it's a it's a product of the pandemic and you know clearly one aspect of this is with the whole world shut down there's been a flattening and now the there's the auction calendar it isn't really geographic so much as is it time-based and with that flattening people can bid on things in Hong Kong because those sales are taking place in between uh, uh, other sales but you still have to market to people uh, locally you, you still sell uh, primarily through relationships right I mean a lot of uh, what you do is talk to collectors and, and, you know, gauge their interest, but also, you know, help them through the process uh, and all. So it, it, it's, it, it can't just be a pandemic thing, but it clearly is, you know, been, I guess, accelerated by all of that.
0: Definitely. I remember in the past when I, when I go help out and be a guest of the London set, for example, the one of the biggest challenges to ask asian collectors to stay up until you know 2:30 am to participate in an auction and so what what the, pandem- the pandemic has brought to us is that none of us can come to london now and so therefore um, we have a hong kong phone desk. And as a result, our London Evening Cell actually happens during the day in London so that it makes sense to New York, for Hong Kong, and also for London. So that's something that I'm very proud of that Christie is doing. So no matter what, like London, New York, and Hong Kong Cell, we always do it at the timing that makes sense. That's something that began during the pandemic. And I wonder how how, um, everlasting this could be you know, it could be a trend that all the London auctions would be the evening cell At least would be uh, would be happening during the day, so that it's truly a global auction. Um, so that it's not an auction where you know a, one third of the world is actually in bed. Yes, You would have to struggle <laughs> to to, please, to stay awake. Yeah. An Even
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: you don't want an evening cell where one third of the world is sleeping, right? So, <laughs> um, so that's starting to. That started to change, and I think that's that. Now you see our, our London So it's 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 truly very very global
1: as well. So uh, let's talk a little bit about some of those pan Asian art artists because they seem to be you know driving the, the global market, but also a lot of the sales uh, in Hong Kong. And I'm I'm thinking of um, Kusama uh, as sort of one of the main drivers. And I know you have sold a lot of her work, and uh, I believe you. You you mentioned to someone recently that you know the pandemic had cha- shifted some of the uh, activity from you know the more subtle infinity net paintings that require really people to be in front of them to the uh, more graphic pumpkins uh, and all. And I was wondering if you could you know talk a little bit more about what the the taste is and how the collectors you know what they're looking for.
0: Right. So I think it's always a process. So they always shift left and then suddenly they they get overcorrected um, to the right. So I think, yes, I think in, in the beginning of the pandemic, I think when we are in lockdowns and people panic, there's some distressed deals and then um, people are getting used to buying online. People are used to, or more people are now used to buying purely from your phone and pdf and computers and um, all these sort of computer generated in scale photos to give you an idea so i think in the beginning yes i think indeed people who didn't quite know how to handle a white night, kusama or something more quiet something that usually requires an in-person experience to understand to um to more figurative colorful things like actually can translate into your computer monitor. So I think that happened. So I remember two years ago in our auctions, we were all asking ourselves, should we do something so subtle and so not easy uh, when nobody is in Hong Kong except for the local community? And interestingly, you know, we were all wrong. Uh, We were right for two weeks, and then um, it turns out I think a good art would still um, prevail. And um, so there's not really, uh, it is very hard to predict what's going to happen at that moment and looking back it was interesting because since then we've sold some really amazing white infinity net we've done an auction record of miracles in hong kong um you know we have we had a almost like a i think we had a top record of uh, richard Lin that was in that came out of the document a very
1: historical piece that yes and he's a very subtle artist
0: exactly so i think uh, COVID and not traveling and lockdowns cannot stop collectors from from learning and acquiring the good pieces. It's, it's what we've
1: learned. So let me follow along with that because Richard Lin's a very interesting case. You know, he's an uh, uh, Anglo-Taiwanese, or I guess just a broadly Anglo-Chinese uh, 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 artist and a historical uh, one. Um, but you've also got. Uh, I'm assuming your collectors own Kusama. They probably also own a Nara or want to, but w- what artists do with those works sit side by side with? And and I guess the, the point I'm asking about is that you know the those artists are now viewed as uh, global artists. They have had, uh, a broad base of collectors in uh, uh, North America uh, and uh, Asia. I'm assuming in Europe as well, well uh, and all. And so I'm I'm trying to get a sense of how you you know what what the the, the uh, broad array of artists is that uh, uh, collectors would uh, choose from, or maybe it's all the the same list that the rest of the world uh, does. Uh, you know, do, is it, I've, I own a Nara and I own a Kusama, and then I'm I- interested in Richard Lynn because he's lesser known. And I think, you know, uh, historical artists that more important people will uh, think is important. I
0: think what people look for these days are, um, the, I think like the, there's so many different type of collectors there's not one formula that we can generally describe all of them but I think some common elements are how international are the artists um, regardless of their nationalities I think in general the trend is that people want to collect something that sells in Europe in new in America and in Asia so if it's a very regional artist um, it I mean the, the I think that's reflected in the prices too. Like the 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 collecting community is more narrow. I think that also then um, discourage people from from collecting. When it gets to the multi million dollars painting, a lot of questions that we I get asked is um, where's the market? Is it just five people in the region? Or is this, is this something that you fight your London and your New York dear colleagues to say? Can I please put it in Hong Kong? And your New York colleagues say, Can I please put it in New York? Like for example, you know, Anara comes up. We all discuss internally. Like, Can I please put it here? And um, like so, things like that does affect a, a collector's decision these days more and more. So um, that's why you, in in Hong Kong you see such a such an interest interesting mix. You know, from Picasso to Blaffle, from Kusama to Nara, uh, from Nicholas Party to George Condell. A lot of times, things that transact in Hong Kong, I would say, are are works by artists that can sell anywhere else in the world. Of course, you you always have some different combination that some artists only sell in Europe in Hong Kong and Asia, and then some artists only sell in America and Hong Kong, and then you also have some that probably only works in London and New York, but never Hong Kong. Um, so there's different combination. And I think each of the location would always, um, want to reflect a portion of your sort of local taste. And then you have a portion that reflect the international taste you want, you know, in, in, in Hong Kong, we welcome American collectors to bid and compete in the Hong Kong set room. Sometimes, you know, we see Americans versus America in Hong Kong and the Asian would not win. Right. And the reverse would happen, you know we've seen things where we send from asia to um to a New York evening sale, and then the top three collects are all Asian and the painting comes back and um and that's the fun part of it is to to play with the unpredictable and also expect the predictable things to happen
1: so uh all of that reminds me uh, this idea that there are colorful artists who are important locally but then become interesting uh, globally in part because they get representation from galleries and all. Uh, reminds me of um a sale i believe you were involved with which is the uh i think it's 7 or 8 panel work by Huang Yuxing that sold for 7 or 8 million dollars you know so some some large multiple of his previous record price and even the million dollar mark came fairly soon before or 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 recently from, from that and so i was sort of curious to hear is it just that was one exceptional uh, work Or is it just, you know, a reflection of the development of his market? And if so, could you talk a little bit about the development of his market?
0: So I think that was a very shocking and yet encouraging result. It was shocking because it was a lot too, I remember. So the, the evening just began and we have 70 works to go. So everybody is, is wondering what time we're going to be having our dinner at night. And then, of course, it, it got to a very, very high level. But at the same time, it's it, that was such a unique painting that I think no collectors, no art circle um, or you know current followers of Kong Sing's market have ever seen. And I think when that painting went on to the exhibition, um, for the first time, we had a highlight exhibition, I remember. I remember people who didn't want to collect Hong Yixing were looking at it people who uh, didn't know who Wang Yixing is came in and said, how do I bid for this? I I like the painting and started asking about the artists. And then obviously people who already knew about the artists were asking about it. And we were also approached by collectors of other areas who just never look at contemporary art. And they, they started looking at the evening cell because of this painting. So I think that's the power of art. Sometimes, you know, you don't have to write an essay. You don't have to explain about the painting or the artist. Purely, the image attracts people and it speaks their culture. It speaks um, the language and it intrigues them. And a lot of collectors, I think one thing in common is that they're always hungry to learn new things. And I think that gave that spark for a lot of collectors to to come and look at the work and um everybody constantly asked i think at least 20 people asked us like um like how much should i be prepared to go i don't want to lose at at the end we couldn't answer them We, we just like just come and do your best shot do what you can afford um you know be prepared like we don't know i think there will be 25 telephones um so that's the that's the fun part that a lot of the the, the things I we can't explain. So um, we look forward to seeing what happens this spring.
1: But I assume that that also means there will be more of his works coming to sale. I mean, there have been on the market previous to to this, but you know, you and your um, uh, peers, uh, uh, I'm sure, are actively looking for more works.
0: Um, at the moment, we're focusing on our Shanghai, London so... Next week, and we will have our Huang in the um, evening sale. There, it's the um, inauguration auction of our new Shanghai headquarter. So it's a uh, two cities joint sale together, a big evening. So we look forward to seeing how that would perform. I think that would be a good indication uh, to the market. You know, you had an amazing, exceptional piece, and what happens to everything else? Um, so. You know, I can't really predict what's going to happen, but then maybe we can follow up and see what happens next week.
1: A week after this interview was recorded, Wang's work, Mandala Reality, was sold in Shanghai for $800,000. That's his fourth highest auction price. Tell me a little bit about how you put uh, your evening sales uh, together and uh, you know where I guess I don't want you to predict where it's going, but sort of where you see uh, interest uh, these days. I mean, you know, I, I could keep listing all sorts of interesting artists who either become uh, important in your market or your market is the important driver uh, of you know. When I think of you know what what happened with Dana Schutz and and, and all, and just that you more and more artist markets seem to be, if not you know breaking entirely in in Hong Kong at least are reaching an inflection point um it feels like the Javier uh Kaleja, um market really broke through uh, in in uh, Hong Kong sales so i'm sort of curious about what you're looking for or thinking about in the coming months
0: so when we put an evening set together obviously we have around 60 to 80 seats we We hope to bring the best pictures um, in every sort of category or nationality. We, to be honest, my job daily is, I reject so many things. I have to be the bad guy to say, no, I'm so sorry, this cannot be an evening cell. You know, that's sort of my daily job. Every day I have to tell people, or colleagues and friends and clients that, no, we, we can't offer evening so I'm so sorry, Can you please don't hit me, but, and then I, I offer my logic. I think the logic of the evening so at least in Hong Kong is that we, we have to show something that, that is different from London and New York, obviously. So we have a certain seat that it's not like we reserve for the Asian artists, but then there are, there are certain things that we need to remain. For example, we will ha- we we'll always have a dowel key almost, oh, I lose my job. Um, always <laughs> to um, yeah. We always sand you. We have our Kusama, we have our Nara. Um, I can't just do a sale with 20 Nicholas Party. Um, I can't just have another 25 George Condo after the auction record. So um, I think it's, one keyword is probably diversity. And then another keyword is probably quality, because um, our audience is not just the Asian collectors, but it's also the European and also the American collectors. In the, the last time when I w- was able to travel just before COVID, I think two years ago, I, I remember very clearly meeting with a Western collector and, and they, they tell us that, um, look, we, we only look for this series in this period, in this artist, and and we're like, oh, that's wonderful because that's exactly um, the opposite of what the Asian collectors would look for. They actually want this period and also this subject instead. And they're like, oh, that's how, very interesting. In that case, would you mind hunting one for me as well, just in case, like I, I would like to peg against my my taste and interest and also collect what the, what the Asians are, are collecting. Um, so I think things like that are always the most interesting because i remember you know when i started my career i think we always get asked what uh what is america what is new york uh, collecting right now um and then they they sort of follow and now we're seeing that both sides
1: are influencing each other and you just i think you said mentioned it earlier and it's worth um coming back to since ultimately the value of art is the uh, what the next person will pay for it it's important if you're concerned with uh, uh something maintaining or increasing in value that there be more collectors coming in behind and so it is, uh, uh, you know, essential to understand that there, uh, there are, there's interest and knowing that there's depth of interest in Asia where there's been a great deal of growth would, would be obviously the, the smart way of looking at, uh, a, a, a work. And even if you are, uh, you know, choosing within that band, there's still usually with artists a fair amount of choice of, of price and subject matter and, uh, you know, uh work to to choose from and it and it certainly seems like the uh the smart collectors are making sure that you know obviously taste can change and you can't predict what will happen in 3 or 5 years or you know 20 years uh but you can at least uh you know think in terms of 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 who's out there and and it, it clearly makes sense to you know play within the field where you know there're going to be other buyers
0: exactly and sometimes it's even hard to predict what's happening next season yeah, um, let alone three years later. So, yeah, I think I think now it's really busy when you're a collector. You really have to look at, you have to constantly absorb new things. And there's always an auction every week. Um, there's always an art fair and, you know, sort of just the art news alone can, can take you, you know, 30 minutes, an hour each day and you have a day job. Um, and, and therefore, you you are capable of collecting. So, um, no, there's a there's a huge amount of information um, to digest. I think as a collector these days.
1: So you mentioned and. Uh, um... This is probably sort of the logical place to to end, but you mentioned Zhao and Sanyu. Uh, Sanyu especially has a bit of a longer market history um, than Zhao, but uh, Zhao has a much larger body uh, of work, and there's been a process over the last uh, 10 or 15 years of essentially importing the work that was in Europe, because uh, Zhao lived in uh, a long life in uh, uh, France and all, it feels like that process is mostly over. I, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there still is work moving from Europe to to Asia. But you know, he some, he sometimes sort of thought of in market terms as uh, uh, the the person who fills the same role as Picasso does in, um, uh, or the the impressionist and modern m- market just because there is so much w- work and so much of it is valuable and as you sort of pointed out earlier, everyone feels that they need to o- own one. It, it, does that work with also these other artists we've been talking about? about? Does someone own a Zao a- and a-, a-, a cause? I'm trying to think of something sort of wildly uh, different or 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 a a, a Zao and a Ku- uh, Kusama um, or is it like a specific sort of Sort of collector, the way we think of you know, impressionists and modern co- collectors having a fairly specific uh taste,
0: I think that's a really interesting and fun question to sort of close and conclude, and that's exactly why trustees has merged um the impressionist and also the contemporary department into one 20th and 21st century um team like, very big global team. And honestly that really um, that really makes sense because there's not so much difference. actually. Um, as I mentioned just now, people look at people want to collect what echoes their culture. So obviously, Asian collectors would always have, have a certain sort of reserve seeds for Asian artists because there's something that in a, in a cause or in a warhole you don't get. It's it's the same thing, right? European collectors would collect European artists because there's something that you can't find from a Kusama. Um, and so, yes, I think I think people do they do collect um, Banksy, they collect calls, they collect Huang Yixing. and at the same time they have a, a Picasso, they have an ink painting at home by Zhang Daqian. Um, I think people want diversification, and I think people want um, blue chip, and people want new excitement. So you know cause collectors they're not just purely people in their 20s or 30s they're very senior collectors who look at cars in asia and i think asian collectors are very open-minded so they really they have a, they learn really quickly i think in general so they are they're very open to to new things, and when when it comes to things that they don't understand, they I think that that triggers them to be more intrigued. And because they don't understand, but then they they're seeing that the world is reacting, they also want to ask themselves like, is it about taste or is it just me not keeping up with the world? So that's the that's the fun part to work in a big auction house in Asia is that you you get a very macro view of the art market
1: yeah no I, I think that's exactly uh, uh, the point isn't it is that the, the Hong Kong has been become this, a uh, uh, best place to gauge uh the market in terms of sort of broad and emerging ta- taste and still seeing that people who you know clearly do their homework and I think you put it perfectly learn very quickly we've uh, we've seen that just in the the short period of time that the this market has been growing that it's a sophisticated market and nobody nobody thinks that you can just take stuff that didn't sell in 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 uh, America or Europe and sell it in in asia i i guess if anyone uh, uh has tried they've uh they've learned it doesn't work uh, uh too easily they've
0: probably learned it the harder way
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: <laughs> infantry, infantry sales doesn't work in Asia.
1: People, people say I've seen that. Yeah, and and so I it, it feels like it's 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 the exact opposite. It, we're now looking to the Asian sales for the kinds of interesting market knowledge and indicators of the things that will become important globally uh as time goes on. So they're they're you know they're sort of the the world's leading day sales in the se- sense of you know you see all this work in the day sa- sales and you can see a lot of movement and it it gives you some you know uh, uh, indicators of where taste I- is heading. Indeed, indeed. I
0: talking about day sales, uh, One one last note is that I think it's I think when you when we put together an auction, no matter evening or day sale, when collectors from a different time zone really stay up or wake up early. Um, to participate in the auction. I think that that is our mission is that we're offering something so different, so good that you know I think last day sale, someone at a ridiculous time zone participated in our day sale and I was on the phone with them and was you know thanking them and they're like, thank you, I have not seen something like this in auction and this is exactly what's missing in my in my collection. And um, that's our, our mission in here in no matter day 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 so evening so we hope to look for good things that intrigues everyone
1: well that's a a perfect place to stop thank you so much Jackie this has been uh, an education but also really enjoyable thank you so much for having me pleasure is mine thank you for joining us at the Artelligence podcast edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the Live Art app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence podcast. We're looking forward to it.